you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode, of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com, kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. We begin with the very latest on COVID-19, taking your questions at the email address atcomments at kpcc.org. Please include your name as well as your uh, location, your first name and location. You can also uh, call us at 866-893-KPCC. Our medical expert today from UCLA School of Medicine uh, and uh, Associate Professor of Infectious Disease at UCLA, Dr. Thera Vijayan. Thank you so much, Dr. Vijayan. Great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me, Larry. Let's uh, let's start, first of all, with what we're seeing in the way of cases at hospitals at this point. We know many hospitals are short-staffed. We're going to talk about that coming up next segment. But what are you seeing at UCLA Medical Center? Yeah, our, our numbers have increased substantially. Uh, it's, it's certainly higher. The number of patients with COVID uh, is certainly higher than it was over the summer. It's not nearly as high as it was a year ago when we were in our winter surge exactly a year ago, um, but it's, it's significantly higher. I would say um, the proportion of individuals who are in the ICU, however, um, remain quite low. Uh, so, you know, it, it's not really clear how many of these patients actually have happen to have COVID and not, are not necessarily sick with COVID um, versus actually being quite sick with COVID. But at the very least, not very many people in the ICU. Well, and earlier this week, we were hearing, at least in Los Angeles County, that the majority of the people who were in the hospital with COVID were people who tested positive after coming in for something else. So that would seem to be good news, wouldn't it? Because it means when you really look at the people that are going for treatment at a hospital because of symptoms of COVID, that's a much smaller number. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, and, and even among those who are symptomatic with COVID, uh, it, it varies in terms of how immunosuppressed they are, if they have other high-risk conditions, their vaccination status, uh, and, and so forth. So, you know, it, it, by and large, those are who are actually quite sick with COVID remain those who are unvaccinated and those who have a very poor response to vaccination due to their underlying uh, immunologic issues. We're at 866-893-KPCC. Lenore in the Fairfax District of L.A. Uh, says, is Omicron a sign the virus is evolving toward being milder overall? Might future variants also be milder? 
Yeah, that, there's a, there are a lot of hypotheses about this. Um, certainly that's one hypothesis that this is, you know, ultimately going to be our new baseline. And, you know, again, vaccination remains important because we have to protect all individuals who are at high risk of, of hospitalization. Um, but, um, but this may very well be how things evolve over the next year, time will tell. Michelle in Westchester asks, is anyone collecting data on at-home tests? Is there some sort of system to keep track of people who test positive at home? That's a really great question. There's no system that I'm aware of that actually keeps track of home tests. Uh, Certainly, you know, in different institutions that are using home testing to allow people to come back earlier, maybe doing some quality uh, measures, but, but nothing more widespread than that. 866-893-KPECC, or you can email your question to atcomments at kpecc.org. We remind you that uh, our COVID in LA podcast, which is our our daily air talk COVID-19 update, is available wherever you get your audio. You can subscribe to it. So if you miss any of these conversations or just get part of it on a particular day, you can hear the whole thing by uh, picking it up either at kpecc.org or anywhere you get your other podcasts. Uh, What are the symptoms that should lead someone to actually seek out an emergency room? Great question. So, you know, it really, so I would say there there are two things, um, two things to really consider. One is what is your risk of actually getting very sick from COVID-19? And Certainly if you're unvaccinated or um, if you have a number of other conditions that would lower your immune system, um, you know, you should certainly talk to your, talk to your doctor about, um, you know, potentially getting treatments that are available in the outpatient setting, um, even if you're mildly symptomatic at the moment. Um, however, if you, you know, some of the things to look out for are shortness of breath. Uh, Certainly, if you're having a lot of nausea and vomiting where you're not able to keep anything down and you need some hydration, those might be other reasons to to go get checked out in the ER. Um, But most symptoms such as, you know, the mild cold, if you're you're vaccinated and are are not at high risk, should not warrant a trip to the ER. Um, We do advise our patients who are at high risk uh, to get actually a pulse oximeter, which you can easily get through Amazon, and monitoring your oxygen status because sometimes people can continue to have this silent hypoxia, meaning that you may not actually feel short of breath, but your oxygen levels may be low. Again, I only advise that for my patients who are at highest risk of getting, of becoming hospitalized. All right. We're talking with UCLA School of Medicine professor and infectious disease specialist, Dr. Thara Vijayan. We're at 866-893-KPECC. Michael in Hollywood says the CDC is saying unvaccinated people are many times more likely to wind up in the hospital than those vaccinated. Does that include people who have had a previous COVID infection? Are they counted in the vaccinated category? That's a great question. And, uh, you know, overall, um, when we're looking at hospitalizations, we're just looking at who's vaccinated and who's not vaccinated. We don't necessarily always look at prior infection and risk of reinfection. I do think that having been infected before carries some protection, certainly. Um, I think actually having been infected before and being vaccinated carries an extra level of protection. I was talking to one of my colleagues the other day and um, Dr. Yang, and he you know, he noted that it's really about the quality of antibiotic, antibodies that you have. 
in addition to how many antibodies you, uh, you have. So, you know, I think having been vaccinated plus having had a prior infection only improves your risk of not being hospitalized. Over the past few months, we've had a handful of listeners with compromised immune systems who have had multiple COVID-19 infections. Um, So whatever degree of protection was afforded by getting sick with it was not enough to keep them again. Now, again, these were typically immunocompromised people. But can you speak a bit to to the risk for those folks? Because I know that that's... It's not necessarily a huge number of people, but the stakes are so high for those folks. Yeah, absolutely. So when we think about individuals who are at highest risk, despite vaccination or despite prior infection, it really is these individuals who are on certain types of immunosuppressive drugs or who have certain types of of cancers or, or conditions that lower their immune system. Um, Those uh, drugs and those conditions tend to focus on two different arms of your immune system. So one is your B cells, um, which are the the cells that produce the antibodies. So anything, any medication that you're on that depletes your B cells is going to put you at higher risk. And then also your T cells, um, you know, any, any medication that depletes your T cells may put you at higher risk of both reinfection and failing to have a response to the vaccine. There are um, medications that in limited supply, um, actually monoclonal antibodies that are available in limited supply, very limited supply to those individuals um, to prevent infection. Um, That is another strategy that we have been employing, but again, the supply is very, very limited. We're talking with Dr. Thara Vijayan of UCLA School of Medicine, where she's Associate Professor of Infectious Disease, and she's Director of Antimicrobial Stewardship for the Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, 866-893-KPECC. Tara in Pasadena says, I just bought another pack of surgical masks for my school-aged family. However, I noticed my boyfriend washes his surgical masks in the clothes washer. I think it started as an accident, but now he does it maybe half the time. Is this an acceptable way to clean and reuse masks? Uh, that's a great question. I would imagine surgical masks don't actually withhold the um, the mechanics of a of washing machine. So I'm actually quite surprised to hear. Yeah. Uh, I would, you know, I would love to hear more about that. But must be gentle you know, cycle. Must be gentle cycle. Yeah, I, you know, um, I, I've actually started using KN95s for my children. Um, they're actually some nice ones with prints, um, which they are big fans of. Um, there are no formal recommendations for reuse. Uh, however. Um, we are actually putting them in brown bags and keeping them away for a couple of days and then considering reuse. And and this has been something that has been suggested by a a number of other colleagues as well, not with a whole lot of data, but with sort of the understanding that the virus shouldn't really last long on these surfaces, if they do last at all. Um, We, you know, um, two years ago, I was you know, I was in this pandemic uh, working as a doctor in, a, in hospitals where we didn't have enough N95s and we actually had to reuse them, but they were actually decontaminated with a specific protocol using um, gamma radiation, ultraviolet gamma radiation. That makes so, sense to me. But I, I, the idea of using water as a cleaning agent for that just, um, yeah. that just doesn't sound right to me. Yeah, I, I think I would be um, very careful about just wearing out the material in general. 
but um, but perhaps just putting it away in a in a brown bag and and keeping it away for a couple of days might might um, allow you to reuse it. All right, sounds good, Tara. Thank you so much. We appreciate that question. Yvonne in Westchester emailed to ask. It's been said there's so much dilution in the air that outdoor sports can be played safely, especially when all the players are vaccinated. Does that hold true during this time of Omicron? It's a great question. Um, we know Omicron is actually a lot more transmissible than prior variants. So I, I don't think there are any absolutes here. Um, I think that in general, the principle that outdoor transmission is far less risky than indoor transmission still holds, even for Omicron. Um, I, I certainly think that vaccination is that additional layer of protection. Um, you know, I, I'm still encouraging my kids to go outside and, and play outdoors. Um, and play sports, you know, and, and I think, um, you know, prior to Omicron, we were allowing them to not mask um, a little bit more cautious at the moment, just given everything that's going on. Um, but but it's less likely overall. All right. 866-893-KPCC. I wanted to ask you about a couple of uh, potential side effects of vaccination, one of which is uh uh, an allergic reaction, like a rash that has been seen in some cases from vaccination. And there have also been, in some cases, seen a change to women's menstrual cycles after vaccination. Can, can you speak to both of those? Yeah, you know, I mean, um, those are certainly uh, possible side effects. Um, anytime you're sort of priming your immune system, you can have, um, you know, you can have side effects like rashes, and you can certainly have uh, alterations of menstrual cycles. Um, I wouldn't consider those severe enough reactions to not get the vaccine. Certainly, it does feel disconcerting when you've, you know, you've perhaps always had a regular menstrual cycle, and now it's a little bit unusual. Um, it doesn't imply anything about fertility or anything like that. There is no evidence at all that the um, that the vaccine affects things like that. So I, I would just say, um, you know, there are some side effects that we we learn to tolerate, and and those are those are some of them. I I do think it's helpful though to people know it know it's possible. So if you're one of those few people who gets, for example, a rash, or you see a you know a, a longer uh, period of menstruation, for example, that you know you you know you're in good company. That this isn't a totally unexpected thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's important to normalize all of the possible side effects um, that may occur and just be mindful of what what is more concerning and what it, what are not concerning side effects. Melissa in Culver City emailed us. I'm a speech pathologist, have been working with very young children. Uh, Melissa, my wife, does that as well. I've been testing weekly, Melissa says, with PCR tests. Is that recommended? So, you know, it's, um, it's entirely, it depends on uh, your workplace policies. I think that um, if you are completely vaccinated with at least two, if not three doses, um, you know, it's, it may be not necessarily warranted. I would just check symptoms to be perfectly honest. Um, but, um, you know, it, it entirely depends on your workplace. And, and certainly I, I understand sort of the comfort with PCR testing. I think that we have a severe we're sort of in a situation where there are lots of waiting lines for, for testing. Um, so we, we sort of have to be mindful of those resources as well.
All right. Uh, We have a question from Gina in West Los Angeles. I tested positive for COVID last Monday. I'm asymptomatic. It's now been more than 10 days, but I'm having a hard time finding a test to confirm I'm now negative. Is it okay to stop isolating and resume my activities? Yeah, absolutely. We say 10 days is is sufficient for um, removing isolation, regardless of whether you've had a test or not. Um, The testing strategy was really an attempt to try to get people to go off of isolation earlier, Um, so at least five days. So I I wouldn't worry at all about getting another test at this point. I think you're fine. Now, there are some patients, again, who are more immunocompromised or um, who may have had severe disease and were hospitalized where we might extend the isolation period. That doesn't apply to most people in the community. All right, Gina. uh, Very good to hear. Before the weekend, you can be out in the world. Dr. Vijayan, thank you so much for being with us again. We really appreciate it. Wonderful to have you take time on this Friday to update us on COVID-19. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. From the Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, Associate Professor of Infectious Diseases, Dr. Thera Vijayan. Uh, She's also the Director of Antimicrobial Stewardship at Geffen. Now, how hospitals and other healthcare settings are dealing with shortages of personnel as a result of positive COVID tests and in some parts of the country, significant loss of personnel due to the COVID vaccination mandate. Joining us to talk about what we're seeing here in Southern California is KPCC and LAS senior health reporter Jackie Fortier. Jackie, very good to have you with us. Share with us from uh, the work that you've been doing contacting hospitals in our area. What have you been learning? Yeah, well, I've contacted about 10 hospitals. Eight of them were so busy they couldn't talk to me, so keep that in mind. Um, I spoke with, you know, a a smaller hospital, Memorial Hospital of Gardena, and their emergency room is just being slammed right now because of so many people uh, coming in who both need routine care and also uh, who are COVID positive. So you have, you know, the usual strokes, heart attacks, things that bring people into the emergency room. And then a lot of them are also testing positive for COVID. They didn't even know they had it. You also have people who are coming in who, uh, you know, have COVID symptoms who need treatment. I also spoke with LA County USC Medical Center, you know, one of the largest hospitals in our area and their emergency room as well, also being slammed for the same reasons. Both of these hospitals have a lot of uh, people who are calling in sick, a lot of healthcare personnel, because they're testing positive for the virus. So our hospitals are really in a crunch time right now. We have more and more people who need emergency medical care and fewer people to provide it because they're testing positive. Do we also, are we getting a count on how many uh, of the personnel, because of the vaccination mandates, are no longer allowed to work at these facilities? That is a very small number. Uh, the vaccine mandate has been in place for healthcare workers for months now, so that's less of an issue. The real reason is because people are testing positive with COVID and for, you know, they have to stay out for at least a week. Um, That being said, you know, infection control is great in the hospitals. They're getting it because there's so much community spread. And as a result, I mean, all four of the L.A. County run hospitals have asked the state for help. 
uh, which means that they're asking for travel nurses, which are paid for by the state, or military personnel from the National Guard or Army to fill in those staffing gaps. This is exactly what we saw last winter, and that was really the only way that they had enough people uh, you know, to take care of those who are in the hospital. That's where they're going. They're asking for help from the state right now. I'd like to hear from you if you work in the healthcare field, either at a hospital, urgent care facility, doctor's office, dental office, anything within the sphere of healthcare, and you're seeing a personnel shortage. I'd like to hear how you're coping with that or struggling with that. We're at 866 893 KPECC. This is an opportunity for you, based on what you're seeing at your workplace in the healthcare arena, to share how you're coping with it or the ways that you're being inundated with trying to provide care while being shorthanded. 866-893-KPECC. It's important that we hear your firsthand accounts of this. You can also email us if you prefer. Please include your first name and your location at atcomments at kpecc.org. If you work in the healthcare field, please share with us what you're seeing from staffing challenges as well as from patient demand, 866-893-5722. Also with us from Huntington Hospital in Pasadena, you know her so well, Dr. Kimberly Schreiner, Director of Infectious Disease and Prevention. Dr. Schreiner, good to have you with us today. Uh, How depleted is the staff at Huntington? Well, thank you, Larry, for having me. Uh, I think Jackie really summed it up. Every single hospital Frankly, every single hospital in the country, I think, is probably experiencing this. This was a perfect storm. It was a highly infectious variant that emerged right just before the holidays. And so, and we did not have lockdown during the holidays, and so lots of folks were traveling and mixing with their families. Uh, you know, we were vaccinated and boosted, of course, which many, many people were, many people still are not. Uh, but um, the, the variant was able to, in spite of that, overcome it. So lots and lots of people are now infected with uh, SARS-CoV-2, and Omicron is the the majority variant. So our hospital, just like every other hospital in the area, is very impacted by this. Uh, We have an emergency room that's extraordinarily busy. We're a trauma center as well, and as Jackie outlined, um, you know, this is we're trying to manage regular medical care, emergent medical care, uh, as well as all of the COVID care. Um, So what we're doing, we have an incredibly resilient, nimble staff, and they've been through this Throughout the last two years, they're exhausted, but they're stepping up, and we're moving different nurses into different areas if we have the ability to do that, Um, and uh, we're managing very well. We do have some travelers coming in. That's going to be a great relief. Uh, We're trying to expedite bringing back our workers that are out with COVID uh, through establishing some other sort of streamlined programs to get them back. There's a lot of paperwork associated with leave of absences, so that's well, that's what we're doing. You have to work a little bit outside the box to try to manage, uh, to maintain a robust staff to provide care, and we're doing that right now. And I think that we can do it through this surge. Uh, how long are people having to wait in the emergency room if, if they're not there for uh, a, a traumatic event requiring immediate intervention? Well, our staff is very good at triaging patients quickly. So if they have anything that smacks of something that needs to be seen right away, they will get attention right away. Uh, For those that are having milder symptoms where they can wait, perhaps even just early COVID, uh, those folks, the wait is, you know, we try to keep it under two hours, but sometimes I think it's been up, uh, you know, a little bit longer than that because we're also, we've got ambulances coming in and so forth. Um, I would want to just sort of stress that do not come to the emergency room to get a COVID test. 
Uh, that is not the reason to go to the emergency room. We only want people there that truly have an emergency and need to be evaluated by medical staff. It's really important. You don't want to go to the ER. Uh, it's very, very busy. You'll be stuck waiting for a little while, and it's just not a place that you want to be if you want to get a test. So I'm just encouraging people not to do that. But I would also like to say that you know everybody has sort of heard about Omicron being a less severe variant, which we are seeing that to a certain degree, especially in boosted vaccinated individuals. Uh, but there are still plenty of people who are quite ill with it. A lot of the internists have been reporting to me they're seeing patients, boosted vaccinated folks, that you know, have pretty significant fevers, some shortness of breath, a lingering cough. So this is not a benign virus, even though it's perhaps less nasty than Delta. And I just really want to encourage people to be very, very cautious. We, we are paying the price for opening things up, which was great. We needed to do it. Uh, but it's it's just everywhere. It's just roaring through the populations. And uh, wear a high-quality mask, avoid large crowds, avoid indoor large crowds, avoid unmasked uh, in, encounters with people. Get your booster. If ever there was a time to get boosted, now is the time. It'll protect you probably even two or three days after you get it. Are, uh, just Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to ask, are, are you are you reining in your your social life as a result of this and, and not going out as you were? I did. I haven't gone out too much the entire pandemic, Larry, in part because I've been working so much. But, oh, uh, but no, absolutely. I have a 90-year-old mother who's very healthy, fully vaccinated, fully boosted, but I don't want to give it to her. I don't want to give it to, uh, you know, my close colleagues. I don't want to give it to, to my people that, you know, my friends, the few people that I see. And so it's very, very important in my family. I don't want to give it to my family. So you, you, you're not doing this just for yourself. You're doing this for everybody around you, who you work with, who you love, uh, and who you care about. Uh, let's take a call from Cliff in Cerritos. I understand you're an ER nurse. Cliff, what are you seeing? Correct. I'm an ER nurse in one of the five largest hospitals in L.A., and we see great crowds. But many people are coming to get tested for COVID in order to get a negative test to say that although I'm symptomatic and I don't have COVID, I want to attend a party or go and do this with other people. And the advice from the medical community has always been to isolate whenever you have a communicable respiratory disease. So we want to not just run to the ER to test, to find out if I have COVID. That's what's clogging up many of the ERs is curiosity. Can so, can you put up signage, Cliff, at, at a hospital that says, um, please don't enter if you're just seeking a COVID test, you know, go no. online to this, or, or is that you can't do that? We can't do that, but we have said to the people online, if you're here to test, you're risking getting COVID, and you don't have COVID, you're risking getting COVID in the first place by coming to a high area of COVID-concentrated patients who do have COVID yeah. for testing. All right. Uh, that curiosity factor is clogging up the emergency room, and they want to know if they have it or don't in order to go out and do their, their business with other people, to, to mingle with other people, to attend parties, to attend this or that. I hear your frustration, Cliff, and I appreciate you, you sharing it with us. Jason in Pasadena says, I know a lot of healthcare workers have quit or burned out over the course of the pandemic. With these staffing shortages, are we going to start seeing unvaccinated individuals working in the healthcare sector soon? Dr. Schreiner, do you, you think that's possible? I don't think so, Larry. You know, we have the ability to make sure that we want to provide good care and not compromise the situation. The mandate for California is that all healthcare workers have to be vaccinated. 
And so we're not going to recruit people that aren't vaccinated. That would be the last, last resort. And I don't think we're going to have to get to that. I, I, we want to maintain the standards uh, that the California Department of Health has established, and I think we can do that. Uh, well, also with us, Chief Operating Officer of Arrowhead Regional Medical Center in Colton, Andrew Goldfrack. Sir, thank you very much for, for being with us. What are you seeing at your hospital? Good morning, Larry. Thank you very much for allowing us to be on your call today. We are, we're seeing very similar to what, what we're hearing across the entire region and the entire state. Our, our hospital numbers are exponentially going up in terms of COVID. As a, as a rate, you know, the Wednesday before Christmas, we had about 25 COVID patients in-house. Today, we have 81 uh, COVID patients in, in the hospital. Uh, 73% of those, however, are all unvaccinated individuals. Um, so we're definitely still seeing a, a big difference between vaccinated and unvaccinated. Our emergency departments, uh, very similar to, to Huntington, um, are extremely busy. Uh, we have a lot of patients that we consistently hold in our emergency department um, that need a higher level of care, our ICU level of care. And just because our ICUs are at 100% capacity, we're holding them in the emergency departments as well. Um, staffing is definitely uh, a challenge for us. How, how much of your staff have you lost? So we, it, the number is, is going up on a day-by-day basis. Um, our healthcare workers are getting sick just uh, as, as others are. They're, they're coming down with COVID even though they've been vaccinated. Um, they, they are definitely uh, seeing signs and symptoms, which is hindering our ability to provide uh, the care that we normally like to do. What what ballpark, though, the percentage of employee hours that in the last few days you've been down as a result of, of those COVID tests and people calling in? So since since January 1st, we've had over 100 healthcare workers contract uh, COVID-19. Out of out of a staff of how many? About 4,000. OK, so the percentage isn't huge, but obviously, um, you know, everybody's been working hard all the way through this. And then to see a, a surge in the number of people coming, this has to be very difficult to manage. It, it is. And it really is day by day. So we've implemented our incident command meetings. We, we meet on a daily basis with our hospital staff, our, our physician leaders to really coordinate the care um, on a day by day basis based off of our staffing uh, availability. Dave in Monrovia, I understand, like our, our previous listener caller, you too are an ER nurse. Please share with us your experience. Uh, at my hospital, Larry, we have uh, they have great staffing. More than I, I think, more than half of the staff there are travelers. They've really ramped up the, the the staffing at that particular hospital. I just found out I I am COVID positive now. I had symptoms for two days. I checked into a motel. It was, a, it was difficult for me to get a test at work. Um, however, I, I want to take issue with what, what the doctor said, that unvaccinated staff do not, un, unvaccinated staff do not, healthcare workers do not work at the hospitals. They don't employ them. 
at a hospital that I've worked at, they had a little uh, a little section, a little kiosk where the unvaccinated healthcare workers would swab themselves so many times a week in order to work, but they did work. I was working with unvaccinated people for the last couple years, unvaccinated nurses, and right up until a few weeks ago, I still was. I don't know if that's changed, if the hospital has changed. I just tested positive. I'm going to be out. That's going to affect our staffing. I have to call. I have to call my my uh, my office and and uh, the nursing office and and supervisors and see where we go. I'm also a little bit confused. So now I'm supposed to, according to the CDC, I isolate for five days. Now then I'm safe to return to work. Am I safe to, to, to coach my son's little league after five days? Okay, who gets the priority? If I'm safe to go to work, should I be safe to coach little league? Should I be safe to be around nine and ten year old kids? Some of them who may or may not be vaccinated. This is pretty confusing. Yeah. I've been, I feel like I've been dancing through the raindrops for two years and finally a raindrop landed on flat on my forehead. Yeah, I, I hear your frustration. We're so sorry about you being sick with this, uh, Dave. And, uh, you know, Dr. Schreiner, you want to comment on, on what he should do at this point? Well, I'm glad that, Dave, you're doing exactly the right thing about isolation. And, and, and to Dave's point, uh, he is correct. We, have, we actually have a few employees that due to medical reasons, for very severe medical reasons, they are not able to receive vaccinations. We have that crowd, and those people are tested regularly. So in response to his comment about that, I think that's actually a reasonable thing to consider if we test them frequently. But the state really, it's sort of you've got to be vaccinated or you really can't work in a hospital is really where that is going. Uh, To his point, though, he is doing the right thing by being isolated. Uh, What I would recommend is that if if your symptoms resolve after five days, according to the CDC, you can return uh, to activities with a high-performance mask, such as an N95, uh, you also should probably get retested if that's something within your uh, capabilities. It's, t- it's pretty tough to get retested, but maybe your facility can do that for you. Um, m- many people are, retain their positivity at five days, so sometimes that's a little bit hard to understand and what to do with that information. If you remain symptomatic after five days, then you should complete the, the full uh, 10 days. But as a vaccinated, boosted person, uh, you probably will have hopefully a shorter course of symptomatology and uh, and then you can uh, come out of your your uh, isolation after five days uh, and and pursue a test. California would the California Department of Health wants people to be tested at five days, uh, unlike the CDC, which basically says just you can go out and wear a mask. All right. I want to thank you all so much for laying out for us the challenges that hospitals and other health care providers are facing because of personnel shortages due to positive COVID tests and actual COVID-19 symptoms. Jackie Fortier, KPCC, an L.A. senior health reporter, has written on this. We have a link to her article on LAist. You can find it at kpcc.org slash airtalk. Our thanks to Dr. Kimberly Schreiner. We'll likely be talking with her next week about the latest in COVID-19. She's Director of Infectious Disease and Prevention at Huntington Hospital in Pasadena. And our thanks to the COO of Arrowhead Regional Medical Center in Colton, Andrew Goldfrack. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in LA. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle.
This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. 